Okay, well, welcome to Politics Galore with me, Andrew Jackson. And me, David McCorgan. Happy New Year, everybody. Um, and we're delighted to kick off the new year with a guest. We haven't had a guest for a wee bit. Um, and our guest is Alistair Stewart. Thank you. Um, Happy New Year. Thank you, Alistair. And I'm just going to let Alistair talk a little bit about uh, himself, tell you a bit about his background and his connection with Scottish politics. And then we'll talk about whatever is on Alistair's mind at the moment about That's Scottish politics. So, Alistair, over to, to you. I'll start off positively. Um, Alistair Stewart. I work as a public affairs account manager at Orbit Communications. Okay. Um, I'm also a columnist for the Scotsman. Um, I've got an article that goes out there every couple of weeks or so. All right. I make okay. it a little bit more regular now. Uh, previous to that, I was in Spain for several years. I was working in public affairs over there. Oh, right. Freelance journalism for an international school. And prior to that, I was in an agency in Edinburgh. And prior to that, I was working for Jackson Carlow. That was my first oh, all right. okay. proper the job, if you want to say that. Total leadership Tender. Indeed. Um, so <laughs> some insider gossip. Some insider gossip, absolutely. But that was my uh, first proper entry-level job in the Scottish politics. And prior to that, I was at uh, Edinburgh University. I studied international relations. Okay. There is a rumour that you should never study what it is that you truly love because you'll be put off it. So Scottish politics was always something that had a passion in. And over the years, I just started looking at international politics and realising that everything goes back to the domestic stuff. And that's where the love affair started. And I've continued it since. So. Okay. It's a great passion. Very good, so. very good. And how long, what time span was that? What, the last 10, 10 years that cover more or less? Well, I'm but 32 at the end of the month. Oh, well, so, so you've less. Said, you've said it, you've said it. No, that was, I believe I joined Jackson's office in 2012. Right, so, oh, so a lot in a uh, short yeah, amount of time. A, a lot in a short amount of time, but it's been, I can't believe I can now say that, well, can you say that was last decade? No, I think you're allowed to do that, yeah. <laughs> it always makes you think that was a decade ago well, instead of just like two weeks yeah. ago. <laughs> I said a very dear friend of mine the other day when I said I've known you for three decades. I'm in 2007, so <laughs> slightly he was more concerned about that than I was. But here we are. Okay, so obviously um, uh, Jackson's race to the top might Indeed. be something that's on your mind. But what are what's of interest and/or concern to you in Scottish politics at the moment? I think the great mandate game which we're in is truly mandate mayhem. I think that one of the great issues that's kind of been overlooked, touched on, you saw it in the general election in December, but certainly now going into 2020, I think it's going to be more apparent, is who exactly has a mandate to do what? Right. You have the remarkable set of circumstances where, the first time in a very long time, I think, that the major parties are really, particularly the Conservatives and certainly the SNP, they've really campaigned with a slogan on their sleeve, and that is it's either Brexit or it's Scottish independence. So you've got this bizarre set of circumstances now where, yeah, the Conservatives at Westminster have, have, have taken the cake. At the same time, you have the SNP who have done remarkably well. Um, again, you know, certainly looking at 2015, 2017, and now. Yeah. Again, they've continued to do well in the number of Scottish seats. And again, they have campaigned with a slogan on their sleeve, saying a vote for us means Scottish independence. In previous years, you could nitpick as to, well, a vote for this wasn't quite a vote for that. And there's a various policies that are, you know, both parties are advocating that they, you know, a vote might mean that or a vote might mean this. But it's very explicit now, I think, specifically to the electorate, that they knew exactly what they were voting for. Right. So it's a question as to who is going to give what to who and when. Um, <laughs> as ridiculous a sentence as that sounds, you've got the SNP who have a very, very strong mandate now to push very hard for a, uh, a second Scottish independence vote but equally you have the Conservatives at Westminster who have the authority 
in that respect to push for Brexit. Um, I suppose I should keep my views on that for, for later. But equally to that, and just to sort of bring it back to, to Jackson's leadership bit for a moment, you have a very curious situation in, in Holyrood where it does feel a little bit, particularly at FMQs, that week in and week out, that major leaders are standing up and they're defending policies for a wider UK set of issues that they don't necessarily agree with. Now, Jackson's changed the Scottish Conservative position on Brexit for quite some time. It was very much against mm-hmm. prime, minister, prime Ministers. And there was that interesting relationship that Ruth Davidson had with Theresa May, um, and certainly Boris Johnson, and previously they were uh, with uh, David Cameron. Now it seems that something needs to be settled at Holyrood. It's, I suppose it is a Scottish political issue, not necessarily a parliamentary one, but something needs to be done and something needs to be settled with the parties there. As to what exactly they are in relation to their larger UK namesakes because mm-hmm. Scottish politics has somewhat fallen into a quagmire in that respect and that mm. we do have the same repetition week in and week out. Now, Jackson may have a similar view on Brexit as the Prime Minister does now, but what's to say that the next set of policy issues they, they differ on? Um, Brexit obviously well, means Brexit, but there is a sizable overlap of issues and policy issues that go well beyond the sort of traditional dichotomy of reserved and devolved matters. And I think that resolving how that's dealt with begins looking at how the parties and their, frankly, their smaller groupings in the respective, um, in the the Scottish Parliament, how they actually operate. And I think you're going to get much cleaner dialogue and much cleaner understanding going forward if that's settled but certainly it seems to be entering something of a you have to decide now phase. I would hope that when Jackson sorry, if Jackson is uh, appointed leader on a permanent basis that that's something that Scottish Conservatives would look at specifically I know that Murdo Fraser has previously flirted with the idea yeah, there have been yeah. others who have discussed it I'm not in any way saying that it's a definitive must to split. It seems that the headlines a lot of the time are very much in favour of saying that there's talk of splitting the party up. It doesn't necessarily need to be such a binary choice. There are other ways to shape it. There's been talk this week of giving the Labour Party in Scotland full autonomy. That seems very much on the agenda but not as perhaps widely talked about as it should be. Mm. Um, Certainly when you're considering what's going to happen with Brexit next and what's going to happen with other policy issues that are affected by it and bringing it back to what the mandate game is and how it's played, that seems to be a very, very serious talking point that's going to have to be addressed at some point this year. Okay, well, before I explore those views further, David, what do you think about that question of uh, being shackled or unshackled, from the, if that's the right word, or, or joined in a whatever the little bow is you tie at a wedding when you tie your fingers together? I mean, interestingly, I'd, I'd jot down while you were chatting there about you know the the new debate around Scottish Labour separating um, or, or being autonomous from UK Labour. I don't know if it'd be English Welsh Labour. What would you call it? I'm not too sure. Um, and obviously, Murdo Fraser was one of the biggest proponents of that in his leadership campaign against Ruth Davidson. And you know, does it will that reignite within the Conservative Party about a centre-right party in Scotland that is conservative but not the Conservatives? So I think I think it's really interesting. And actually, what would be really interesting to look at that is what would what would a 
Labour left party and a Conservative right party in Scotland that isn't tied to UK parties mean for the independence movement in Scotland? Um, Mm. Because theoretically those parties could then take an independence view, they could be split within them about pro-independence or or, uh, pro-union. What does that then mean for the broad church of the SNP that is from left all the way to the right but very much in support of independence as some support bleed out to you know one of the, one of the things that I've always thought about the Conservatives and I think Ruth Davidson done really well when she was leader was that I think a lot of people in Scotland still look at Conservatives and measure them to your Etonian Conservatives and down south you know and, and think about Thatcher era Conservatives but I think Ruth Davidson Tried to change the image of the Conservatives. You know, she they moved away to a completely different logo, and she presented them in a completely different style. And I think some people probably started to see them as a different party anyway from yeah. what what was um, you know what was in uh, in power down in, in Westminster. But I think I think it would it'd be a really interesting dynamic for Scottish politics to have a Labour Party maybe doesn't call itself a Labour Party in Scotland, a Conservative Party that maybe doesn't call itself a Conservative Party and suddenly you've got three big parties in Scotland which are Scottish parties if you would um, and, and what would that do to the SNP vote SNP membership what would happen to policies around independence, would there be a more vigorous debate within the, those camps as well, so I think it's a, re- it's a really interesting conversation that kind of got kicked off right at the start of the new year um, and we're only what 14 months away from an election and yeah. you know how much of that will come out of the wash before an election you know yeah. or is Scottish Labour going to go into an election Holyrood with an internal constitutional debate going on with the Labour Party and we don't know what it'll look like at the other end so you, you could have Labour Party MSPs elected in 2021 who suddenly become a new Labour Party um, yeah, member yeah. because of what happens to there. So it's, it's, it's really fascinating that we've got this like, you know, macro constitutional debate around Brexit and independence in the UK, but the political parties are now going into their own kind of like micro constitutional debates about yeah. who are we tied to, who are we not tied to, who, who are yeah. our overlords, who are not our overlords. <laughs> So, well, I'll put you on the spot then, Alistair. How do you think, what do you think will happen in the next 12, let's say the next 12 months then, to make think, it slightly easier? I think if that is looking, easier. I'm, I'm going to play a get out of jail card. Here. Say <laughs> I don't know. That, <laughs> oh, no, no, I wouldn't be that cliche. I will say that I don't think that much will radically change before the next general election, Scotland. Je- next Scottish election, you mean in 2021? I think that a remarkable amount is going to stay the same. I think Brexit will probably happen, I think, the way that we're heading. But I think that the kind of changes that we're talking about will happen after 2021. Time is the massive factor in that you know yourselves that there is just not that much to play for. Scottish Conservative leadership election will take a a period of time, a number of weeks. You need to hash that out and then the new leader, even if it is Jackson, they'll have to cut their teeth as an official leader. That's not a lot of, of testing time. Um, although he is very experienced, it's not the time to start going down the route of radically altering constitutional structures of okay. the party. On that, in that similar vein, it's, I suppose the question is, how quickly does desperation breed change? 
Right. And it seems that this issue normally comes up, if we, when we go back to normal times, it normally <laughs> reared its head when you know another election happened in Scotland and the Scottish Conservatives didn't go so well. Then the cycle would start where is it time to change our name? Is it time to break away? I think that the ones that might actually pioneer at first could potentially be Scottish Labour. I think that they will increasingly flirt with the idea right up to 2021, mm. kind of preempting what everyone suspects, and that is, if not a total wipeout, then significant losses in Scotland. Further, what's happened in the December general election across the UK, I think that they could actually be quite an interesting start-up in that respect as to what future models could look like for the Scottish Conservatives. Um, not to state the obvious about the name, but you know, I don't think they're likely to change when they're on to a good thing. Mm. If Jackson is elected and he goes into 2021 on a very positive mandate of putting Brexit behind us, and moving on from that, and that's a big if for what happens over the next year or so, then you could be looking at something that continues for quite a while as is without many fundamental changes. I think that the secret to it is what's going to happen with Scottish Labour. I think that they could potentially be the ones to pioneer it as a necessity. But what's curious to me, though, is that you know everyone looks at the Scottish Conservatives and you know they see big C conservatives, you know, the conservatism that I, I know best is that they keep the best and they change what's not working. Mm. Will they stick to that sort of credo after 2021 if the election results don't go so well? Or if their decent returns last time are, are quartered or, or, or halved or, or really significantly reduced? That'll be a very interesting question. But I think over the next year or so, it's going to be business as usual. Um, it's very easy to point at Brexit and see something and say, yeah, nothing's going to change. Everything and nothing are going to change because of that. I actually think that Brexit will happen, but it will take quite a while to feel the proper impact of mm -hmm. it. Um, and by that point, you have no choice from a leadership point of view but to proceed into the next uh, Scottish election as is and then pick up the pieces after 2021 um, so we're kind of in a hiatus a year almost okay. it's an opportunity to start thinking about not the next 15 months it's, it's an opportunity to start framing the next decade and I know it's a cliche to say that at the beginning of 2020 but it really is like we need to sort of settle that issue once and for all as to what these parties are in Scotland I think that's going to be the next massive issue as to how we proceed right okay I mean I'd be interested if both of either of the then because I mean the the two parties Labour and Conservatives as far as I can see are coming at it from a slightly different angle Labour at all, or at least what I've read so far Labour are talking about the need to uh, separate from the UK party um, in order that they can deal more effectively, in particular with the issue of independence, as far as I understand it, rather than necessarily a whole raft of other domestic yeah. policy issues. And I'm not quite clear whether they think we need to be a separate party so we can argue more effectively about independence, or we need to be a separate party so we can deal with the incoming fact of independence when it arrives. Whereas the Conservatives presumably don't want independence okay still that's their position so in terms of carving out their distinct identity whilst i hear what you say about you know parliament repeating itself week week after week they would be looking to carve out a distinct identity and yet remain within the context of devolution yeah so there's two kind of different drivers and i, and I appreciate that both those sets of decisions have to be made um uh, may well have to be made after the scottish election but after that election you'll be in a situation presumably if things continue as they are where the snp have increased their mandate for 
for uh, independence. Likely, yeah. So, so if that's the case, in, the, in a podcast we were talking the other week, we yeah. I think we felt there wasn't going to be uh, there wasn't going to be an indie ref in this parliament because the UK government will just go. You know, we know there's some arguments in favour of it, but we're just not doing it right. But it may happen in the next parliament once because uh, the, the the mandate of the SNP will overlap because of the Scottish election period. So whenever the next UK election is, um, the Scottish government will have that mandate, um, and so um, there'll be more pressure for the UK on the UK government. And also Johnson might think, well, I'm in second term, I'm going to bow out. You know, they may not be the same. He may not want to. He may be more willing to blow something in that period than in his first period. Um, but what that could mean is that it becomes academic. In the sense that, you know, once if Scotland votes for independence, then the split will be forced upon the Conservatives and Labour, whether they like it or not. Well, I suppose they could stay an international party. But so in that sense, um, what do I what, what were your views on on what they're waiting for? You know, how they're going to change that question, ask themselves a different question about what they mean as a party, depending on what happens. Is that, they, Do you think see them having, you know, sort of three scenarios that they're all will pick the one that's working out or is there, is there thinking that's sophisticated or is it just we'll just have to worry about it when it comes along I mean I, mean, I think you know if you go back to like Murdo Fraser's argument in what been about 2010 9-10 around about then when uh, Ruth Davidson um, became leader and his, his argument was about creating a a Scottish identity that spoke to Scottish conservatism that wasn't Weighed down by the the UK brand yeah. and, and 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 it's a bit like you know um, you you look at what gets levelled at Scottish Labour that um, oh you're attacking attacking SNP for this but Welsh you know Labour and yeah. Wales is dragging Wales down yeah um, so you you cut that you know you cut that link almost you create an almost uh, a separate entity that is politically aligned but a different party therefore you can have divergent views mm-hmm. and, and quite often there are divergent views and, and that's fine um, but I think I, I don't I mean I, I don't know why either party's not went down this year I mean the obvious time for Scottish Labour to really have thought about this was when they got absolutely trounced in yeah. 2011 um, and, they had the, and they had the big inquiry into why, why they lost all their seats and, and, and what happened that that would have been that obvious crisis moment to say this is the constitutional outcome we need us to move move separately. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I think you know the, the, obvi- the obvious thing is you know if there was an independence referendum, independence happened. You know, you would need Scottish registered charities, uh, Scottish registered parties, I assume, to stand. Therefore, everyone would have to do it and, yeah. and, and just yeah. get on with it. Um, but the. Uh, I suppose it is interesting to think about you know why hasn't it happened yet? Now, the the argument was probably that devolution was within the UK context, therefore we don't need to be separate parties to operate within devolved yeah. areas. Um, but I actually think that I actually think that a lot of the debate um, is around the best way to respond to the Scottish electorate. I don't think it is necessarily in response to independence. Right. Um, so I don't think the Scottish... I don't think Scottish Labour are looking at it as a way to stop independence or a way to get behind independence. I think it's a way for them to look at to be relevant to the Scottish electorate. And I think the same was for yeah. Murdo's argument around the Scottish Conservatives was about right. how we present ourselves as you know small-c Conservatives to the Scottish electorate. And there's probably a lot of people out there who... Um, 
would struggle to maybe vote for Thatcher's party, but would be really up for supporting a Scottish small C Conservatives. Right. And, okay. um, so I do think I do think it's a lot more in response because the, the the challenge is while you are part of a UK wide party, it's very easy for Nicola Sturgeon to say, "Well, that's all fine and well, Jackson, but look what Boris Johnson's yeah. doing down in Westminster. Yeah. That you know, tell me how you would do do it differently in Scotland. You you, you get." Shackled with that, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's what they're trying to 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 do here. And and obviously, you know, Westminster would end up becoming like the European Parliament. You'd return ten Scottish Conservative MPs, and they would just align with the Conservative, you know, group within Westminster. So you would, you know, for the for Labour or Conservatives, you wouldn't be losing seats. See what you, you would, mean? You know, they would just be, you know, like when you go to Europe, they all. They they all come into their their groups, you know, the centre left, the right, whatever, all all um, you're going to coalition, and that's all would happen. So, like the DUP was supplying confidence, and um, the Scottish Conservative um, MPs that were returned would just be vote votes for the Conservatives essentially. Um, I mean, the really interesting thing, like the, what um, we can maybe explore this in a second, but um, and um, you come in about that, but the 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 thing that I find really interesting at the minute is you've got a, a Scottish Labour leader um, in Richard Leonard who kind of rode a crest of a wave of Corbynism into into the leadership role and you've got a leadership election down in Westminster for the whole UK Labour um, with Unison throwing their weight behind Keir Stammer you know what happens to Richard Leonard's role as leader when maybe the party's moving moving away a wee bit from the Corbyn era? Suddenly he's out there on his own in Scotland. Yeah. You know what? How does the party start looking like? You know what does the party start looking in their leader? I don't think they'll change leader before the next election. That'd be absolutely chaos. But what what does it start to look? You know, we've already you know Monica Lennon's um, really. Coming out and making that statement about separating is mm. is fascinating. Now I don't know, I don't think I've seen Richard Leonard comment on it yet, but you know it's been played out behind behind the leadership bench and a, a, you know a lot more people coming out and saying so. The the Labour Party's starting to get quite interested in Scotland about who's saying what, why are they saying it, who's moving where. We've already got you know really senior figures within the party like Neil Finn who said to retire in twenty twenty one. You know what 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 who's going to be left. For Scottish <laughs> Labour, in you know who? I, you know, interestingly, I've not seen Anna Sarwar talk about it as well. You know who is somebody that you know a lot of people would expect to, to be there. So uh, it's, I'll be a really, you know, I think it'd be really, really interesting, especially if Keir Stammer won the leadership. You know, he's he's not Corbyn. Um, he, you know, he is a different politician. And what does that mean for the kind of the the, the kind of Corbyn left within Scotland, the Scottish Labour Party, yeah. um, and and how does it you know how does all that play out? But there's, so, a, there's a lot going on there. It's fascinating. Alistair, thoughts? <laughs> reminded, I was going to say, it reminds me a great deal of the the Greek fable, the ship of Theseus. And I remember. <laughs> oh, no, no, oh we've with, gone way up in the intellectual intellectualometers off the charts. I distinctly remember telling this to a very good friend of mine, actually, who was very pro and being. We had a good chat about this and the possibility of the Scottish Conservatives changing and changing their identity and addressing, the, as you rightly say, that that prevailing problem of that, you know, the, almost the, the myth and the, the legend of Margaret Thatcher 
you know, as a as a good or a bad thing for people. And he said, and I explained this. I said, if you you know change every plank of wood in a, in a ship, you know, isn't the same ship by the end of it. Right. And he said to me, well, you mean triggers broom handle? That's what you know. That's the only fools and horses joke. Like, <laughs> is it the same broom? Of course it is. The issue isn't just changing the name of the Scottish Conservatives or saying that they're going to be separate. It's like issues with funding, you know, personnel, you know, what's actually going to happen? Are you going to have the same group of volunteers, you know, migrate over? Are you going to have a split? There needs to be a clear vision from the get-go. What you're saying about Thatcher reminds me very much of what happened with her her death in Glasgow, and I'll, I'll never forget it. You know, it was a remarkable thing in George Square, and that, you know, news was announced. And you had, you know, people protesting in George Square. But what was interesting about that was that they were younger than me. I'm 32. So they would never have have lived under her. Mm. I I was born in 88. You know, I I have no memory of it. Mm. Yet that legacy continues to prevail and somehow occupies a a really awkward shadow in Scottish politics. It is most often associated with the Scottish Conservatives. But you equally have a situation... And I'll get in a lot of trouble for saying this, where small C conservatism isn't always, you know, the natural home of the larger conservative party. You know, there's a strong argument that Thatcher herself was an old school liberal. She yeah, right, yeah. threw everything out. So, you know, if you do I'm I'm choosing the words carefully with this, if you do set up a new centre right party in Scotland, it needs to be very clear on what it actually stands for, otherwise the exercise is gonna be completely mm-hmm. self defeating. Yeah. I think that that needs to operate, and what you're saying about Labour, that needs to operate very much in a paradigm shift of how these parties in Scotland view themselves in relation to Westminster. How does Westminster view itself in relation to the Scottish Parliament? Because there have been a really, really couple of bruising years now where there is a feeling, and again, Brexit was shot down in the Scottish Parliament. What is the actual consequence of that? Yeah. What is actually going to be the outcome of that? Truth is, very likely nothing. Nothing is going to change. So there's a relationship issue that needs to be changed overall. And when you clarify what direction you want to take that in, whether it be the you know the awkward F word of federalism, as again I think Murdo has played around with recently mm. in the in the press, you know you have to take it to its natural conclusion. Yeah, I can say change a name solve a problem, but it's not that simple, you know. It, it, it does seem, though, that, just to refer back to my earlier point, that week in and week out, though, that this problem is emerging of Scottish leaders across the board yeah. taking blame, or, and very rarely the good points, taking the blame for what happens at Westminster. But nothing is changing as to address that. Um, it would be wrong to suggest that that is part of the reason that, because I simply don't know, that Ruth Davidson stepped down because of that. But you could understand why that pressure and that awkwardness between her and Boris Johnson and, and to quite a, the same extent with Theresa May made her job impossible by the end um, because her views were very well known on Brexit and mm. very well known on the European Union. Um, trying to deal with that triangulation is next to impossible. Something has to, to give at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, to pick up on your comment about you know responding to the electorate, I guess that if you... Uh, I mean, there's there's the pure argument of it's just better to be self-determinative for a party even within the devolution settlement and people, the voters, might like that notion so you can be more flexible and responsive. But I suppose the interesting thing is that if you are a, the Conservative or the Labour Party, one of the reasons that you want this, if you do want this kind of independence from the UK party, is presumably because you think that what they're doing isn't... Pop, 
popular, right, uh, or isn't flying in Scotland, you know, it's compromising you in Scotland, in which case you're going to have to have an alternative policy in Scotland. Exactly. And the more you move towards that, the more you're moving towards fundamentally the SNP's territory, which is, yeah, you're right, we need a lot of different things in Scotland, and the only way we're ever going to get them is uh, by through independence. And so if you as a party advocate independence for your party, right, That's then there's a logical follow-through that, they, in fact, the whole country... So what I suppose I'm saying is I think there are elements of the Labour Party that are more comfortable, some of them anyway, but with the notion of independence full stop. I think there's probably fewer elements in the Conservative Party that are comfortable with that. But it's a, possibly an all-roads-lead-to-Rome kind of situation where... Oh, possibly. I'm still flabbergasted at this stage of the game that no-one is seriously playing with, with federal as a possibility it has almost become a, 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 a dirty lazy word um, sort of a cop out but you know the, the greatest strength of, of, of the union and equally its greatest you know, soft underbelly is its flexibility there is no constitution mm. in theory you can do what you want you know, throw it all down, amend play with it and while we've had devolution which has been by and large a success for 20 years Where's the other radical thinking? Where's the next phase of that? And again, you know, I'm, I'm kind of skipping over my own point about changing parties, but you know, you do need to look at the, the broader structures as well. I, I do believe that it would be very interesting to see how the SNP's fortunes would fare with however you put it on the table, as federalism is a very, very real, not a, a cerebral or theoretical exercise, as a very real opportunity for the country as a whole. Well, there's, I mean, there's the traditional argument against federalism in the UK is that the English percentage-wise will dominate all those discussions. But I wonder whether, in fact, uh, and I appreciate that, you know, but I wonder whether the fact is that the things that would be retained, even in a federal system, are somehow sufficiently uh, significant for Scotland to mean that you'd still end up in the same place. The obvious example is Trident, yeah. you know, where the defence in a federal system is usually retained yeah. by the federal yeah. government, so uh, probably always. So, you know, that would still be there. There would be other things, uh, a lot of economic policy, about which there is current a lot of, currently a lot of debate, mm-hmm. um, might be something that might naturally be retained. So I wonder, I'll, I'll bring David in and then come back to you, Alistair, whether you think that, um, that if we were to... Well, run a federal system or try a federal experiment it would nevertheless what that would reveal but there were still so many things that would be retained at the federal level that the they wouldn't affect the drive for independence yeah and uh, but i suppose the 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 interesting thing about so i I think i think one of the the big sticking points would be defense like you know and 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 tried and, and i think that would um you know that that would 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 be significant but i suppose i suppose the interesting thing around um you know, if, if you were to go down the route of a federal experiment, you know, if you, if you look at devolution, the safe thing in devolution would have been to create replicas of Westminster in Cardiff, Belfast, and Edinburgh. But we didn't. We went so to a kind of yeah. we went to a post Cold War European style rainbow coalition parliaments, um, much like oh, much any, mean, any new yeah. democracy that happened post. Right. You know, 1990. Yeah. So why do you have to? You know, so if, if you were to say we're going to go to a federal system, the kind of normal places to look would be Australia or the USA. Why do we need to copy what they're doing? You know, there, there's there's the the economic model that you could adopt under a federal system could be entirely different to what we would naturally assume would be the the economic powers of a federal right, state. Okay. So they took a decision in 1999 when they, when devolution happened to. Um, remodel the devolved parliaments 
on something that is completely contradictory to Westminster. So if we were to create a UK federal system, why does it have to be what what we think it might so, look like? So we'd have to reform Westminster at the same time. Well, would the, that be? Engl- or, well, it wouldn't yeah. be Westminster because it'd be an English Parliament, right? So you no, know, but there'd be the federal. Well, I mean, let's yeah. let's assume Westminster yeah. reads Washington, right? So Westminster is the federal yeah. Parliament. There's an English Parliament in yeah. Birmingham, for example. Yeah. You know, but your obvious thing would be, you know. I don't know, th- uh, 25 senators from Scotland, England, Wales and Northern Ireland yeah. all get in a room together and, yeah. and there's your top chamber. And well, then that you, is the Senate, yeah, then you yeah. get there. And, yeah. then, and then, you, and then and the, like, like you said, it'd have to be an English parliament, which would probably, the obvious thing would be to model it on Hollywood, you know, and, and, and go down that route. But I don't, like, I think I totally agree. Like, I um, wanted to... So I think the last independence referendum had to be yes or no but one of the absolute failings of that is it just drove everyone one way or another and the only people that tried to have any serious conversation was the Liberal Democrats and Willie Rennie around a federal system um, and they just got laughed out of the house because it wasn't an option mm. and and I, and I think what's happened to everyone since 2014 is you have to jump into one camp or another mm. and you can't sit in the middle and, and talk about what would a federal system look like and I think it's a serious conversation to be had. I mean, I saw um, some stuff come out today in the news that Scottish Labour would back a second independence referendum yeah. if federalism was an option on it. Um, now, if you went out today and polled a hundred people on yeah, Princess Street, they'd be like, "What the hell's federalism?" Like, yeah, yeah. is that not what we've already got? Like, we don't, you know, people just wouldn't know because it's never been part of the political discourse. Yeah. Um, but I think I think often the problem with these things is we, we we hear federalism and we go oh it'll be like the Capitol building in DC and and then, and this is all the things that need to happen in a federal state but it, it doesn't really you know you can you can there's huge disparity around taxation economic yeah. policies investment yeah. from state huge. to state in America um, and there's no reason why in you know in Scotland you could have you know a really high tax bracket but in England you could have a low one but you know the distribution's complete you know you take California for example you get a certain grade when you leave school you get to go to university (laughs) for free Um, but that doesn't happen in every school and every every university in every state so it's um, you know there's huge disparity within that and and, you know and I suppose the challenge in the UK is that we'd only be talking about four states within one Mm. federal system compared to you know 50 in America and I don't know how many are in Australia um, but you can, you know, I, I think we would there would need to be some real. There's an opportunity for radical thinking, and I think the current independence um, dichotomy that we're stuck in doesn't allow for radical thinking. Yeah. It entrenches us in a kind of very black and white without everything in between. Okay. Well, we're almost out of time, but Alistair, have you got any last radical thoughts? I think only to say that I mean the radical needs to become the new norm because right. we're kind of at the we're kind of at the stage now where we're just throwing never mind the, the baby in the bathwater, we're just torching the house. And I think that it really I think everyone, every everyone in the country really just has to let in the idea that radical doesn't need to be a scary word or, or mm. an outrageous proposition. I think if we were having this conversation before Brexit, then there would be that sort of small C conservative knee jerk that it's a very British fudge, everything works. It mm. may not work well, but it works. Mm. We're now at the stage where, you know, we've got such radical overhauls coming our way yeah. that you you need to push in some some lateral thinking. And that goes for 
pro-union supporters as well as independent supporters because you know what's you know really ever discussed is you know if Scotland becomes independent how will it actually really work never mind the polarising issue but how will it really 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 work yeah practically on a day-to-day level you know after after that event and I think that those are two conversations we have different ends but they should operate in parallel and I'm hoping if there's one hope to take away from it that Brexit it's either going to ignite that interest and that renewed passion and that renewed level of debate or which is I'm sorry to say my worry is everyone is just so tired by the end of it that we all kind of revert back to being a bit quiet about these things before they crop up again who knows when and about what I I cling to the hope that it ignites fresh thinking Um, I really do yeah well I I think I agree with you I mean it's certainly uh, and you know David and and listeners will know you know there's points where I just think, oh, not this crap again, you know, and you're like, really? I mean, come on, we've had that debate, we've had that discussion, and it didn't go, you know, you need something, as you say, a bit more new, a bit more yeah. original, a bit more radical. Okay, well, um, we've run out of time, but um, that was great. I thought we, that was, that was a bit more um, considered and, uh, and uh, intellectual. Not that David and I are, are not of high intellectual quality, of course, it's but it's, it's, back, it's but great to be elevated by our guest, so thank you very much, Alistair, for that. People can uh, find you uh, via Orbit if they want to. You're on uh, social media, are you? I am. At EGJ Stewart is my Twitter handle as well. Okay, and in The Scotsman every couple of weeks. And do you write about any old stuff or are you particular focus? No, Scottish politics normally, a bit of culture as well. Some Greek mythology. Yeah. Just for fun. Just for fun. Good stuff, yeah. Saturday afternoon writing. I should say Alex is is, uh, arrived in a chariot and is only wearing a loincloth. I'm sorry, Alex is only wearing a loincloth. Anyway, okay, well, uh, thank you for listening. Um, And uh, do uh, rate us, review us, all those kind of things wherever you get your podcasts because it helps. Uh, build the relationship I should say uh, we're now on Spotify so if you want to find us on Spotify we're there and we've got a Facebook page too which I've set up over Christmas took me five minutes and then when I looked at the book that said how to market yourself on Facebook I thought I'll do that later (laughs) so uh, if you want to help us do that by liking the page then uh, do that and and we'll uh, see you next time thank you very much cheers bye bye